0: I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
1: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
0: I'm Dominic Patton.
2: And I'm Anthony D'Elisandro,
0: And this is the Deadline Podcast Hero Nation.
2: Today is all things DC's Naomi. We're here with the executive producer Jill Blankenship on the Ava DuVarnay produced series and star Casey Walfall who plays Naomi McDuffie.
0: But before that, we want to talk about something that also happened this week, the Oscar nominations and what didn't happen for the likes of Spider-Man, No Time to Die, and in some weird way, even though it's very heavily nominated, Dune. So let's start off with this. The director of Dune. Dune is nominated for Best Picture. Dune is nominated for a bunch of different stuff. But for some reason, the director of Dune was not nominated for an Oscar. And I have to say, like, I know a number of Academy members, and I'm pretty sure they know that movies don't make themselves. So, Anthony, what do you think happened there?
2: You know something? I was talking with Pete Hammond today, trying to get some intelligence on, uh, you know, how this went wrong. And he, it just happens, is whats is what he said. You know, he's like, it, it always stands. You know, we've seen this before. You'll know that this happened quite recently with um, with Ben Affleck, with Argo, wow. on another Warner Brothers film. And I would just say, look, in a year when we're trying to celebrate blockbusters and going back to the movies and,
0: hey, big
2: movies on the Oscars, I'd really go for the gold with Dune if I was Warner Brothers. I'd make a lot of ham out of this whole, you know, Denny being overlooked and everything like that. Um, I just would. I mean, it's a magnificent movie. They made a point, the producers and Denny, not to do all CGI, to try to make it look as realistic as possible. I I mean, just the way they shot it was... I mean, it was a really tortured shoot. They were they were shooting in the middle of the night or in the early morning. They couldn't shoot during the day because they would roast themselves. It's a marvelous movie with a lot of heart and soul and everything. And man, that's where I'm putting my chips. But hey, speaking of bringing, not giving respect, uh, Spider-Man. Well, yeah, but I mean, uh, but it,
0: uh, look, Spider-Man has been claimed and not altogether incorrectly, I might add, it basically saved the theatrical experience. You know, it is now, I believe, the sixth highest grossing film of all time. That is amazing during what is still a pandemic. And And I'm not just talking technically. It's going to overtake
2: Avatar as the number three highest grossing domestic film. Yeah, and and it's crazy. It's a
0: crazy thing. And they, that I get they also put on a pretty vigorous campaign for this. And there's a lot of good reasons for that. The trio of Spider-Man who actually are in it at one point, Benedict Cumberbatch who is in actually also in the film that everyone thinks is, is, you know, kind of the front runner for the the moment right now, which is the power of the dog. Um, And yet completely shut out, just completely shut out. And the the, the fact is, is that the, the, the Academy is now back in this stance where they have a mandatory 10 films. I'm not saying any of the films that are on that list don't deserve to be there. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, the fact that Spider-Man No Way Home wasn't there, it almost feels like, almost feels like, the Academy is saying they don't really care what audience is like. And I think think they're going to suffer for that. I think they're going to suffer come March 27th. They're going to see not that many people tune in to watch.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And these... I don't know. I know the streamers have put forth a very solid effort to say, hey, we're gonna showcase your films on the big screen before they hit the service. But to me, it's not the same thing. There is yes. theatrical, and then there is what you watch at home. And uh and, and those films are made very differently. Look, Moonfall just just bombed at the box office. No, he didn't make that movie for a streamer, you know, as whether you like that movie or you don't, and a lot of people decided, voted with their wallets, no, we don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the thing is, is that, you know, you gotta respect what Roland was doing with the VFX, with the sound and everything. It's a whole different experience than watching it on your own. Yeah, but, that, but
0: I would say also too, is, is you have to acknowledge, and, and Bob Shapack, the CEO of Disney, did this re- this week on the earnings call. You have to acknowledge that the consumer experience has changed and the consumer expectations have changed. And again, you also have to acknowledge there is a global pandemic. The interesting thing is that Spider-Man kind of proved that some people don't care that there's a global pandemic if they really want to go see something. But it brings me back to is why is there seems to be a lack of interest in popular movies? You mentioned earlier that Spider-Man is on track to at one point eclipse Avatar, right? avatar which was a popular movie which received acclaim you know titanic james cameron also helmed that Uh, you know a popular movie that won best picture so i feel like in the past 10 years which i have to say directly correlates to these like rapidly falling ratings for the academy awards It doesn't feel like they care about what people actually want to see. And it's not like it's that hard because in actual fact, the very reason why the best picture category is at 10 is because of the supremely stupid oversight of not nominating the Dark Knight back in 2008, 2009. And they realized we've got a problem. We need to be more open to this. Black Panther made it in. Um, You know, Joker made it in kind of a different thing, Joker, but, you know, fundamentally superhero based on some level, obviously. Um, I, I just surprised, and I'm really surprised, with the exception of the Billy Eilish song, that the last, J- Daniel Craig's last James Bond movie, No Time to Die, also. Just not even a part of this discussion.
2: Yeah. Well, I will say this, you know, with a lot of these adult dramas, which of course are getting, they're getting put on streamers, that's the safest place to do them, business-wise and everything. The studios used to make dramas and comedies that appeal to a mass audience, such as Jack Nicholson in As Good As It Gets or um, Jerry Maguire. And those films, those types of films really don't exist anymore. I mean, and if they do, it's in a hipper sense. It's Tarantino, you know, uh, doing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, that it's just. Things have changed, and a lot of the genres that used to pop at the box office are now something for a smaller screen.
0: But I think that, that is, I think that is a real fundamental problem because the Academy and the Oscars are not about niche movies. They're not about just adult dramas. They're about movies period. And we are seeing a literal segregation of the industry. By that. And I I feel like you're saying, well, we're we're celebrating excellence in cinema, but you're not. You're celebrating excellence in a very particular part of cinema, much of which I like, by the way. Big fan of a lot of those movies. Big fan of a lot of those movies. But you're saying this is all this is all that we value. And you're saying this other stuff we don't value. Our audiences go to it. It is primarily what drives people into theaters, even pre-pandemic. We don't care. Not important to us. I and will. I think, say
2: that, yep. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I will say with Spider-Man, that was a last minute campaign. And that was something I don't think they were even intending to campaign for the film. And then by the time, you know, for Black Panther, you know, and all of the awards that accumulated, they had a runway for that. It was a film that, you know, debuted earlier in the
0: year. But also I would, back. I would, but I also would say this. I think comparisons, you know, when I was talking about Joker, I was like, well, Joker's kind of a superhero, super villain movie. But let's be honest, Joker is really an homage to taxi driver. It's like, right. what happens if Travis had a son? You know, um, oh, and we actually have Robert De Niro in this movie. You know what I mean? Um, oh, and yeah, and it's about the guy who like is Batman's nemesis, mm-hmm. eh, you know, whatever. Um, kill some people in front of a movie theater. Eh, might, you might that mean something to you, or it might not. You're not you're not in part of the Batman uh, canon. You might just be like, oh, this is the way this starts off. Whatever. Um, but I think that Black Panther was very specific in it being a a, a barrier breaker, and also issues of colonialism, racism, imperialism multiculturalism that it discussed, it actually did stuff that Hollywood hadn't done before. So Mm -hmm. it actually fit within a lot of those dynamics and it had amazing performances by the late great Chadwick Boseman Boseman, and and Ryan Coogler, did a magnificent job weaving together multi-generations of of black history on both sides of the Atlantic. Spider-Man No Way Home is not, it's no godfather. I mean, I'm the first person to tell you that but it is a pretty good movie and a pretty good movie that everybody in the world seemed to see. So just give it some props, like open your eyes up and realize who's paying to keep the lights on for you people. That's what I don't understand. And it honestly, it's just sheer discrimination and snobbery. That's what it is. It's saying this is a lesser form of filmmaking. This is a lesser form of story, make storytelling. And while yes, we, we, you know, we're gonna engage with some sci-fi stuff because it's based on iconic books, we're gonna teach this, we're gonna treat this as if it's just not important. And you're, you're missing, in, in my opinion, you are missing the point of the cinema experience if you continue down that road and you move the Academy and the Oscars yet closer slothing towards the Bethlehem of irrelevance.
2: I can't agree with you more. I am the exc- exclamation point at the end of that sentence. That was beautiful. Well, listen, Spider-Man, I don't think, I don't think Sony's crying over no Oscar noms. They're very rich right now. But uh, look, even though the CW, we don't know what's going on with them, but one show is breaking through there, and that is Naomi. And we're here today with the executive producer, Jill Blankenship, and star, Casey
0: Walfall. Welcome, Casey. Welcome, Jill. Hi. Hey,
2: Hello.
0: Thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining us today on Hero Nation. Um, now, right now, Naomi is on hiatus right now. I think you guys are back on the 22nd of February? Yes. But are you, are you guys all wrapped up with season one? Yeah, we wrapped season one four
1: days ago. Um, <laughs> it was great. It was, the, it was emotional. But, you know, the end of the season is my favorite personal part of the season. I don't know about you, Jill.
3: Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was, I got to go down there and, and hang out with everybody. I've been too sad to not be there in Atlanta with everyone. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. It was really like satisfying and sort of wonderful to, to finish with everyone. And also sad, a little sad, a little bittersweet.
0: <laughs> now, I, look, no spoilers. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if you want to tell a spoiler, we're good with that, but but, um, well, let me, let me say this. Yes, spoilers. Um, is it uh, Always spoilers. for both of you together and individually? Is it is it a finale, is it a season finale that you feel like this is a good place, this is a place that takes the show forward and, and this is a place that really starts revealing more of, and if some of you don't know, this goes to a very super-powered place eventually. Um, that's not a spoiler by me, by the way, there are actual comic books out there, you can read them. <laughs> um, so you know, So what do you think? I mean, is it, Casey, for you, like, did you feel like, okay, this is where the story should be? Yeah, I mean, the great thing about,
1: you know, Jill as a showrunner and Miss Ava, they always tried to, they were always conscious of not telling me everything. Telling me the things I need to know, but not telling me everything. So as I was getting towards the later of the season, I was constantly surprised. But when I read 13, I just had like a new arrangement of questions because not just with Naomi, with every single character, there is something new. Um, And it is very different from the pilot and the characters that we see in the pilot but i think it's just so beautifully written and then i also think you know hopefully season two in the works you see the diff you see you're gonna it's setting up for like a story that i think um a lot of people will be invested in and i think that it almost gets a little bit it gets a little bit darker at the end of the season a little bit more like personal and dark at
0: the end well that makes sense though i mean again i've read the comics you know so obviously there's the comics to base on but it makes sense because when we're introduced to you, you know, you are the, uh, well, you are the, the person behind the, I believe it's the third most popular Superman website in the world. Yep. Um, and, you know, it's a it's a pretty sunny, you know, pretty sunny, suburban teenage life. And then then stuff happens and starts happening a lot. So in a way, that evolution makes sense, regardless if you're a fan of the comics or not, which I am. But in, in, se- in the sense of that, Jill, you know, obviously part of you and Ava putting together the series the way you did, and we wanna talk a lot about some of the things involved in that, sociological and otherwise. But you obviously, you come out of the Arrowverse. You're, you know, you are well-versed, pardon the pun, in this. So for you, was there a similar type of weaving? Because the Arrowverse was about that. It started out with what Steven started and ended up with like, I don't know, was it five shows, six shows by the end?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I, this is, I've been, I feel like so fortunate to work on, you know, several DC properties this is my third, third thing with DC. And I, I, I love, I love the comics because I think they offer so much for everyone. And so I felt like my experiences on Arrow, you know, help inform, you know, gave me a sort of an institutional knowledge of the genre. But what I was so excited about with Naomi is this like totally different sort of fresh take on it, where you are really following this young woman who thinks, when we begin that she's just like a normal human girl. You know what I mean? And not then, so much. Not so much, not, not so, so much, much. <laughs> not so much. And you know, to me, that was so interesting. And Ava and I talked about it from the very beginning. It's this girl who's like, she's a Superman fan. You know what I mean? And that makes it so unique, I think, in the world of DC shows and, and other television shows that have been on. And, and the opportunity to sort of pull this like, very true grounded original origin story over the course of not just the season but but you know the series was something that was super
2: exciting to me okay round two name something that's not boring
3: a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire
2: huh Ah, oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No um, process prohibited by law. 18+ terms and
3: conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Casey, this is such a wonderful show about representation. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that, but also who were some of your role models growing up on the big screen in, on TV? In this, in this superhero space?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's so, it's so great for representation. It's also grounded in normalization. So it's a story that is just about a 16-year-old girl who's Black who happens to be a superhero. And I think that that's super cool, because that, you know, it's not something we see. It's not something we see. So um, that was really great for me. And I know younger me would really look up to that. I think that, you know, the people that I loved, when I was growing up was people in positions doing things that I wanted to do. So I loved Audra McDonald. I'm a Broadway girl, so I loved Audra McDonald. I love Adrian Warren, Renee Elise Goldsberry. And then, you know, um, TV wise, I also loved the, I loved the Arrowverse, especially in middle school. This is the mm-hmm. Naomi burst, but I love the DCCW shows. And I mean that like genuinely.
0: I, I just oh. want to stop everyone for a sec. A, a lot of you know, who listened to Hero Nation, we do our interviews over Zoom so we can all talk to each other, but obviously you guys just hear us. I'm going to tell you behind the curtain, Jill is beaming at the arrow verse note. She's beaming. <laughs> Sorry, Casey, I didn't want to cut you off, but I had to give, her, I had to give her a shout out. No, yeah.
1: I I didn't even notice. But Jill's always smiling. It's so great. She's just such a great person to work with. But I could go on that rant for for a very long time. Um, I would say, you know, Supergirl, I loved Melissa Benoist. Like, she's so perfect to play that role. And, you know, The Flash and all those shows, like, I always looked up to Candace Patton and I watched Black Lightning, and I thought that I was Jennifer Pierce in middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really great to be in this space and to tell this story and to tell this new story that um, Miss Jill and Ava, you know, imagine. And um, it's 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 really great. So you know, I looked up to those people, and I hope 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 that this there's girls and people that look up to this show too.
0: Well, that, you know, and you bring up a very interesting point, Casey, that I know that Ava has talked about and Jill's talked about before, which is clearly there's, there's, there's statements and topics of representation, Mm -hmm. but there's also maybe even more importantly, in many ways, this topic and issue of normalization that, well, why wouldn't a black teenage girl be a superhero, like, you know, got lots of black, got lots of white teenage boys who are superheroes, like, why not Mm -hmm. for you? That is a question, of course, it's like, well, why not? But at the same time, you are trailblazing being that person in this, at least at this at this juncture in our culture. What is that like for you? you it, and I hope you don't think I'm being too personal, but is that, a, is there pressure? Is there a liberation in that?
1: There's, oh, 100% a liberation in that. I think that, you know, sometimes when we do see shows, um, it, it, representation is such an important conversation and it's so, so, so necessary. But, you know, sometimes representation can, and I don't mean to go onto this rant for super long, but can be confused with tokenism sometimes. And what I love about this show is, you know, these characters stand on their own and their own ethnicity and their own races. And, um, you know, I don't feel so much pressure because I know that you know Jill and Ava chose me to tell this story, um, but you know, and I know that I'm going to always respect the story, and you know, the writing does a lot of that, of course. So um, I feel pressure in certain aspects sometimes, but it's great to be surrounded by people like Jill, like Ava, like the cast of Krindy and the creatives that don't make you feel that pressure.
0: Jill, one of the things, and I know, sorry. Anthony, you were going to say something. Sorry. No, that's okay. Go ahead. Well, I just, you know, one of the things you guys are into. I think the last new episode was episode four a week ago. So no spoilers. About yeah. a third of the way through the first season. Yeah. But in the very beginning, and and Casey talked about this again about the way the season ends and the way it starts feel like very different things. Mm-hmm. But it does start with a certain guy in a red cape. Yeah. <laughs> and you know. I found, and I found this when I remember when I read the comics, there was, a, there was a great existential nature to that because so often when we talk about superheroes, especially the DC ones, we're in a world where we never think that anyone's like making websites about them or like, you know, chasing them for autographs and stuff like that. Did you guys, did you guys kind of, how did you work through that you wanted to establish that greater connect literally and figuratively?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I uh, I loved the comic so much. Like, I love the Naomi comics. Like, I felt I fell hard for it immediately, and I thought that was among the many things that was super interesting about the comic. First and foremost, the character of Naomi herself, who I just felt like jumped off the page and who Casey is, you know, brought to life in spectacular fashion. But I thought it was so
0: comes off the screen now.
3: Yes, yes, nice. uh, and I thought it was so interesting and fresh that it does begin with the Superman sighting. And I thought, what could, because when you look at the characters of Naomi and Superman in the comics, and then sort of as we go on our show, they do share so many parallels. And so Ava and I love this idea of, again, sort of like, A, this young woman who starts out as a fan, who basically realizes that the sort of connection and this affinity that she has for, for Superman, this this comic book character actually goes much deeper than she thinks, or, you know, anyone, thinks are, you know, in, in the beginning. And so that's one of the things that we were so excited about was sort of bringing that kind of unseen part of things to life Because it's like, we're all read, com- well, we read, you know, I read comics, a lot of people read comics, but you don't see the fans integrated, I think, into a superhero show that way in many cases, which has been very fun.
2: Um, I know I'm jumping way ahead, but can you tease for us? With Superman guest starring, having guest starred, um, will there be other DC superheroes either making a cameo, or are you going to cross over with other with other Warner Brothers TV DC shows?
3: Yeah, so I think you know episode. Um, everybody's already seen episode three, which was uh, Captain Comet, Adam Blake. Yeah. Um, and so you know we have some fun character, you know a few sort of uh, Easter egg characters like that throughout. Um, to kind of echo what I think Ava said before, we don't we don't have any crossovers the first season. We're, you know, firmly getting to know Naomi, establishing, as Casey and Ava have said, which I love the Naomi verse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so,
0: not not in the first season, no. You know, because that's it. Feels it feels because I guess part of it is, you know, in a, in a sense, Naomi is part of the CW phase two. I guess that's what I mean. Maybe I'm being a bit too literal. Crossovers were so much a part of phase one. It almost feels more natural to let things just organically breathe a little longer.
3: Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think, you know, the CW has done such incredible work on all fronts and bringing the superhero space to life. And it's interesting you say like phase one and phase two, because yeah, it's something like, you know, Arrow versus, you know, Stargirl, which is relatively new and these other, you know, um, new additions to, to the CW network. And yeah, I mean, I think allowing Naomi and these other shows a little bit time to kind of grow on their own and, you know, really get to know these characters within their world is is pretty valuable.
0: Casey, for you, what has been the most surprising thing about, you know, obviously, well, I love it. And a lot, and you know, the great thing, I like to sometimes think I'm, I have unconventional wisdom, but Naomi is popular with everyone and has been critically acclaimed by everyone. But what has been the biggest surprise for you? And now that, you know, few weeks of you guys have been on, few weeks. The show is definitely resonating. You're coming back.
1: Ooh, the most surprising thing to me. I mean, I, I'm a teenager, but I don't look, I don't try and look at those things too much. I always appreciate, you know, the love that I get, but I don't, you know, read reviews personally. Mm -hmm. Um, But I appreciate the people that write them and people who have their own opinions on things. I think the biggest thing that I would say surprised me was like, I did it. It <laughs> sounds like it's a very, that sounds like a very broad thing, but um, I did it. Like we finished the first season. We got picked up, you know, we're doing well. People are enjoying the show. So I think that the most surprising thing was to me, to myself personally, was that I did it. And I was, I was able to do it at a young age. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for Jill and Ava for that. So I would say that's like a, and that has a lot of different categories in it, but I would say the, um, full meaning of it is like, I did it. That surprised me a little.
0: And what about, I mean, you talked about you, you don't really spend a lot of time on reviews, but what about a reaction from fans and other people that you've had, they've had to the show? What has surprised you the most? Because I'm sure there were things you expected, things you didn't expect, but. Mm. I think what's su- What
1: surprised me, which is always such a good feeling, is like when people watch your show or or watch your work and they feel something. So people have told me like, um, even like family members or friends or just people in like my Instagram DMs (laughs) have told me like, this scene moved me, or I could relate to Naomi as someone who's adopted, or I felt what she said in that line where um, in episode two, people talk about that scene with her and Annabelle in the bedroom all the time, Mm -hmm. where they're talking about, um, you know, how Naomi has felt alienated her whole life and now she is an alien. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that is really, you know, gratifying. And that's just a testament to why I do the work that I do when people feel something, when they watch the show, that thing, that really resonates with me.
2: Jill, I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, this, this whole comic book universe is just growing substantially more with streaming. And I know when it comes to TV creators, like, for example, I remember one guy uh, who was on ABC think he had like a 20 episode order. And, and in his opinion, that ultimately kind of decimated or, or, or watered down his show. And now you've got these streamers that are doing episodes. I will not name the rival streamer. You know they're, they'll do they'll do a comic book series in six episodes yeah. or seven episodes. You're at thirteen. Can you talk about that? Is it? Do you like? Is it nice to have a thirteen order? Is it better to have shorter? I mean, just. I'm I'm sure there's a larger discussion, what's good for a network audience, what's good for a streaming audience. But I was wondering if you could talk about that a bit.
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's so interesting. I'm going to date myself and talk about when I first started (laughs) and how there, you know, there weren't streamers. There were, you know, still the 22 episodes were the the norm. I've done done that. I've done shorter orders. Um, And to me, I think it all Dep- in terms of an ideal kind of number, I think to me, it often depends on what kind of story you're telling, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And the, and the specifics, not just sort of for the show even, but like for the specific season. So, I mean, for me, I actually really loved being able to do 13 episodes the first season because, you know, um, and I think, we, Ava and I have talked about this before, you know, the first season in particular, we, we really look at it as like this true origin story, you know? And I think, What's what was really nice is we were to able to, I feel like, tell that story in a way that didn't have to feel rushed necessarily. That I felt like, I mean, just for myself personally, if we had had to tell the story in six or seven episodes, I would have felt like, oh, we're a little rushed and we're skipping over some cool moments. And then by the time you get to thirteen, you know, without giving too much away at the finale, like, you know, she's we're ready for sort of the next step. And so it's nice to have um, that kind without of without giving too much away. Without giving too much away, yeah. Um, you know, but it's, it's, it's an evolution of the character. And to me, the 13 episodes was actually the perfect amount for this season. Um, and what's nice too, just as, and this is again my personal experience, I was on the last ship for a long time, we often did 13. You can kind of, um, what's, what's also sometimes nice is you can kind of break it into like two little parts. You know what I mean? You have sort of the first, first part of the season, then you have kind of the second part of the season. So structurally it, it helps. I think as a writer to kind of be like oh this is the story we're telling over the course of 13 episodes
1: i always joke with jill and say that um we're gonna get a back order of six well we finished i was like i'm like we're gonna get a back order of six and i'm gonna write them and i don't know how the show would pan out with that um
3: (laughs) i have a lot of confidence in you
0: I want to see that. Yeah, I want to read that. <laughs> yeah, I definitely want to read that. Uh,
2: Casey, when is you, that happening?
0: <laughs> Casey, did you did you use the comics as kind of a, a Bible or did you just kind of be like comics are one thing, our show's another thing. That's how we're doing this.
1: No, I love source material. I think as an actor, it helps it, it helps people that are watching who have read the comic. You know, it helps the believability of it, but it also helps me. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, the first thing I did, even when I was having lunch with Miss Ava in LA, I read the comic on the plane, on my computer. Then when I booked the role, I went to the comic book store and got it physically in my hands. And I think the story is different sometimes, you know, there's new characters, you know, the story takes different turns that the comic book doesn't take, which I'm excited for people to see, but um, there's certain things that I did, whether it was physically, uh, she has her hands in her pockets a lot in the comics, I always like, if you watch, I tend to have my hands in my pocket in the show and that's totally intentional. I like to do mm-hmm. things, a lot of things with intention, but I think that I, o- I always had it in my bag because it helps me feel more like the character that I'm playing and know that I am the character that I'm playing. So yeah, I used it, but then I also was inspired by the script and the beautiful scripts that Joe wrote, you know, to build within that material and personally as myself build within
2: that. So I always kept it in my bag. <laughs> So you mentioned Broadway, Casey. Are you oh. going back to Broadway? <laughs> oh, jazz hands, jazz hands. Are we going down the Broadway road in the show? No, you, are you going in, in, in the future? Do you try to find you know, a respite in your schedule where, hey, I'm gonna do a play or I'm gonna try this musical on the side?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was on Broadway when I was younger. This is my first series regular role. It's my first yeah. lead role. Even in like a school play. Um, so this is my first lead role in anything. But I love theater. I love I love both film and TV and theater for different reasons. I go to performing arts school, so they're about to do a play there that I'm interested in doing or interested in asking to assist and direct. But I love theater, so um, I would totally be down for that route. And that's a great thing to do during hiatus, too, and it I find so much happeni- happiness with in the stage, so totally
0: what is that like actually just like you guys just ended four days ago so do you still feel like you're kind of like I'm half living in a hotel I'm not like are you still feeling like you've just been shot out of the cannon or are you like I'm home I gotta make coffee I gotta do some stuff like how do you feel Jill
3: um you know what it it hasn't changed I think as dramatically for me because I wasn't in Atlanta for the whole time, the way that Casey was like moving there on the ground. I went down and visited over the course, but I've been kind of based in LA. So, I mean, I always have trouble making the coffee, no matter where yeah. I'm at, but like, you know, um, for me, and you know, now we're, we're still sort of on my end, um, you know, working on post and working on all these things. So,
1: so I, I don't feel too jarred. I don't, I don't think it's hit yet. No, um, honestly, like it's hit, but it hasn't. It's going to hit tomorrow when I go to school for the first time in two years. <laughs> it's gonna hit tomorrow when I go to school for the first time in two years. Um I did online school during during the show, but uh when I'm back in my in-person. I, I school,
0: need to ask you, are you gonna carry a skateboard to school?
1: <laughs> I take the New York City train. I am not going to carry a skateboard. I I, oh, I used to carry a skateboard on the New York City train. It's doable. But I live I live deep in Brooklyn. So um maybe, maybe, maybe I'll carry maybe I'll take a city bike to school. Maybe I'll do that. Um but I will miss, I will miss holding the skateboard in my
0: hand. I will. Are you gonna wear merch?
1: Oh, yeah, totally. I would <laughs> I'd like not even to brag or anything like that. It's just I'm I'm proud of what I made and the merch that people made. It's just super okay. cute. Yeah. They did good
3: merch.
0: They really did. They really did. We're
3: lucky I'm yeah. gonna wear my Naomi shirt, one of my <laughs> shirts.
0: Well, guys, thank you for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Casey, who from Naomi, who is Naomi. And Jill, of course, who is the uh, co-creator and executive producer. Naomi will be back on The CW on February 22nd for its fifth episode of its 13-episode first season. And, of course, we're all looking forward to a season two. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Please come back and join us on Hero Nation. We really loved having you guys with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. So with all that, thank you for everyone being with us today. Thank you for Jill and Casey being with us. Thank you, Anthony, as always. And thank you to all of you for listening to this episode of the Deadline Podcast, Hero Nation. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and everywhere else so you never miss an episode.
2: And of course, you can find all of our breaking news coverage of TV, film, business, and everything affecting our industry at Deadline.com.
0: Take care. Talk to you soon.